Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Let me ask you, what or whom do you worship? We all worship something, hang our hat on something or someone, whether we realise it or not. But what happens when life gets hard? The hard stuff of life is what tests who or what we truly worship. We see this idea played out in very real terms in the Old Testament book of Daniel, chapter 3, when we see that who Daniel chooses to worship may well cost him his life. Tonight, Dr. Corbett is again in the book of Daniel as we observe Daniel's refining. And this was a real test for Daniel, even though he's not in the story. And so let's launch into verse 4 of chapter 3. It's an extremely famous story, and let's see if we can, we can get this. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a furnace, a burning, fiery furnace. Verse 7, Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, this I find this really, really odd. And I find it odd because in chapter 2, we have the most outstanding, one of, if not the most outstanding miracle. And that miracle is where Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream and he's told no one of it. And he dares all the spiritual leaders of the various false gods to tell him by asking their god what was his dream and he has thrown down the dare the god who reveals to you the dream that i have had and then gives the interpretation of that dream is the true god and so we've got this scene where in chapter 2 it comes down to the 11th hour where it's all about to go. And then suddenly Daniel walks in and he says, My God, the God of Israel has revealed to me the dream that you've had and its interpretation. And Daniel gives the dream, the nightmare that Nebuchadnezzar had been having. And Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges it. And he says, There is truly no other God but the God of Daniel. The God of Israel. There's no other God but this God. This is amazing what you've done. And we see that the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had of a statue with a golden head and, and silver and bronze and iron and then iron and clay was a picture of the world empires to come. A picture of gold. Nebuchadnezzar is the golden head because eventually what you don't know now but you will discover is that Nebuchadnezzar, of all these world empires that were to come, he was the only emperor who finally submitted to God. And then we go through the Persian and the, the Greek and then the Roman and then the iron and clay is Rome and Israel. But it was Israel 
and Rome that conspired to destroy Jesus, the rock, the little rock. And it says that they tried to crush the little rock. Instead, that rock destroyed the statue. And all those kingdoms came tumbling down. And that rock grew into the mightiest kingdom the world has ever seen. And it filled the whole earth. And it's a picture of the kingdom of God. It's a picture of Christ's kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar has had that interpreted to him. And in the very next chapter, he defies the God whom he said was the one true God. That's why I say this is odd. Because the oddity of Nebuchadnezzar's idolatry is that he's just had the most dramatic proof of anyone in the Bible that there is a God and this is who he is. I find that really odd. Now, what we're going to read about in this chapter is that Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they know about the king's decree to fall down and worship this idol. And yet, despite that, they choose not to because they choose to live differently. And I want you to think about this. By them not bowing down to this idol, who are they hurting? No one. Who are they harming? No one. How are they undermining the political stability of Babylon? They're not. They are doing no harm at all. And yet we're going to see they were despised because they wouldn't join in. And here's an amazing principle. You choose to do the right thing in a wrong world and you will upset people. And I'm sure some of you have already discovered that. So we read this amazing verse in verse 8 of chapter 3 where it says this therefore at that time certain chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the jews what had they done we read on down to verse 12 there are this is the accusation they brought to nebuchadnezzar there are certain jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of babylon shadrach meshach abednego these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? Or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. In other words, your lives will be spared. Imagine this, 15, 16-year-old kids standing before the mightiest emperor in the world of that day. The full might and here's these 16-year-old kids standing before the emperor. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Hmm. And what we're about to see is that God not only allows three of his faithful servants three of his children 
three people, three young boys who've said, God, we love you more than anyone, anything else. We worship you. We give you our lives. And next thing, all hell is breaking loose against them. Hmm. Just because you choose to live right doesn't mean everything will go right. Has anyone discovered that? You only have to have a heartbeat and a pulse and a bit of breath and you'll discover that. Just because you choose to live right doesn't mean everything will always go right. And God is not only allowing this to happen, he is the one who is ordaining it to happen. God is orchestrating this. You will go through hard times. You might want to write that down, date it. I'll sign it if you like. You'll go through difficult times. For some of you, you will go through adversity. For some of you, you will go through extreme trial. Some of you, I don't wish it on anyone. You will lose things that you really wished to God you'd never lose. A loved one, car. Someone said camera. I was going to say that, but I couldn't bring myself to say it. You'll go through and, you'll, and in life you'll lose things that are precious to you. Your own health, trial and adversity. You might think, oh, I, the God I worship would never do that. You ever read the book of Job? You ever seen what was going on there? You ever read the Apostle Paul cry out for God's grace? And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. But in this instance, my grace is the strength to help you get through it okay so here this last statement i really want you to get this god ordains for his people to go through trials and adversity to show the world the difference what difference are we talking about you see the world has a way of handling trial and adversity and god does not exempt the believer from going through it and when you believer child of god son of god daughter of god go through trial and adversity. God, your father, is a proud daddy when he wants to show to the world, this is how my children go through just what you go through. When you go through it, you hit the bottle. You, you take pills, you take tablets, you try and medicate yourself out of it. You try and do all this stuff. My children, they go through exactly the same and they lift their hands in worship to me. And they quietly trust me to get them through. That's the difference. Here's Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego about to go into literally the fiery furnace of trial. Now, they are about to make a statement before Nebuchadnezzar. Can we just back up the truck a bit? What has Nebuchadnezzar just said to them? You bow down and worship this statue and everything's fine. It'll all be okay. Problem solved. Let's just get on with life and she's all good. But if you don't, just the way Arabs describe pain, you know, may the fleas of a thousand camels infest your armpit pores. You know, it's like, why? Just, just be like an Aussie, get to the point. You know, we'll hurt you. He says, you'll be torn limb from limb. Oh, man. I don't know if you ever, you know, somebody would just read that. It's like, Oh, that's oh, that's ropes and horses and whips and you go that way and you go that way. Ow! Can you see the threat these young boys are facing? It's all about worship, isn't it? You can imagine some of these young boys going, well, I suppose we could bow down and in our heart say to God, sorry. 
we're doing this, God, we're bound down. We don't really mean it. They could have done that and preserved their life. But, they, but let's have a look at their response. But I find this interesting because these boys knew something about worship. You see, worship defines who you are. Because you will always become like that which you worship. You worship a God of infinite peace and limitless love. What is that going to do to your heart? That's what worship does. And that defines who you are. And the definition we're going to see there is you're a child of God, aren't you? You're a real believer, aren't you? It defines what your treasure is. It defines how you make decisions. So this is really, really important. It's not a trivial issue. Can I say it's actually the issue? It's the issue of life, who you worship, what you worship. And it's when you're in trial, it's when you're under adversity that what you claim to worship will be tested. And it's at those times under trial and adversity. And dare I say it, temptation, when there is a test of who or what you really worship. Now, with all that in mind, we've got these three young boys. And Nebuchadnezzar said, fall down, worship the statue that I've made. And these boys are about to say, I think, two of the most profound verses in Scripture. Every Bible I've had, every iPad, every iPhone with a Bible on, I highlight these verses. These are profound verses. And I think there are believers here who have a concept of God as being something akin to Santa Claus that need a jolly good wake-up call. I was going to say something else, but jolly good wake-up calls, much nicer, to get your understanding of who this God is adjusted to what the Bible says about God. Because if your concept of God is that he is up there to give you whatever you want and to ensure that you never have a moment of pain or suffering or hardship, you don't have an accurate picture of God. Is God the limitlessly powerful limitlessly loving or gracious god absolutely and because of that he will always help you get through whatever difficulty you face let's have a look what these boys said shadrach meshach abednego answered and said to the king o nebuchadnezzar we have no need to answer you in this matter Hmm. they could have just stood there and said nothing and said we're not going to worship the statue do with us as you said they could have could have just stood there But listen to what they say. This is profound. Because what we're going to see is that as these boys stood there, this question is not a question of obedience to the king. This is a question of who do you worship? And who is this God you claim to worship? And this is the statement we're going to see. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego worshipped the God who they believed was, note this powerful word, Abel. Now, you you just read that. We even sing this song, Abel, my God is Abel. And you just think, well, yeah, whatever. No, no, no. Now put it in the context. When all the odds are against you, when everything looks like it hasn't gone your way, when life is throwing its hardest and its worst at you, you stand there with arms raised, eyes closed, heart lifted to heaven and tell God how much you love him and adore him. And you declare to the world, my God, is able to get me through this my god is able to deliver me from this 
My God is able to heal me. My God is able to get me through this treatment. My God is able. He can do whatever he wants. And I worship him not to get what I want, but because he's able. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us. Out of your hand, O king. Huh. Get that? He will deliver us. He will. You see, these guys had, I reckon, the perfect understanding of how the world really was. Because we have this really limited understanding that that the world is all I'm going to experience in this lifetime. Can I tell you, that's not all the world is. You see, we think of heaven as being a cloud and a harp and fluffy and little wings and a thousand years and that's it. That's not heaven. Good grief. That's a margarine commercial. That's not... (laughs) Heaven is real. It's more real than this stuff and it's hard for us to imagine that, but it is. And these boys, they had an understanding. You kill us and we come into ultimate reality. Do with us as you will. Our God will deliver us. But I love the next verse. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Our God can deliver us right now. And even if he doesn't, he will. There's your two perspectives. But if he doesn't, King Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow down to your gods. We will not. Do your best. (laughs) Come on. We will worship and serve God. Wow. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. Do you think there was a bit of tension in that palace at that moment? And the expression of his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, tunics, their hats and their garments and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. The part of the point there is you wouldn't normally do that. You would normally maybe strip them naked, prepare them, maybe douse them in oil or something. you'd make a real event of it, but they didn't. They just, right, right where they're standing, right now in their garments, just bind them and throw them in. So this is happening in a hurry. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Wow, that's hot. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace i would imagine that the furnace had a bit of a downward slope to it and they were to be thrown in but they got so far these guys they died because of the heat they're going down and it's flames and they 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 fell they fell in they weren't pushed they they fell and here they are in this furnace verse 24 then king nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste He declared to his counsellors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men. 
unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like, the King James says, the Son of God. The literal Hebrew translation is a son of the gods because Elohim, which is Genesis 1-1 stuff, is a plural word, son of the gods. This is a pretty amazing scene, isn't it? Here's these three boys thrown in, the ropes are burned off, but nothing else. Verse 20. Six And then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Hello. <laughs> Change of story. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors and the king's counselors gathered together. These are the people that had slandered these boys and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire came upon them. Hmm. Something deeply profound has happened here and it's happened because three young boys had a conviction of who god was a conviction and i think there's a world of difference between having an opinion about god and having a conviction about god you see a conviction is something no one's going to persuade you otherwise you've got a conviction by the way you you take your time to get the most core convictions of your life they take time to form But when you've got them, they should be non-negotiable. There is a world of difference between an opinion and a conviction. And my fear is that some of you have the opinion that God is good and he deserves your loyalty. That's your opinion. Over whatever time we've got, whatever time I've got left on this planet, I hope that if you are in this church, we move you from that being an opinion to that becoming a conviction. God is good, limitlessly good, limitlessly loving, limitlessly gracious. And he's worthy of my utter devotion and adoration. That's my conviction. These boys had a conviction that meant they went into the fire. Can you see the point of what they say in verses 18 and 19? They didn't have this conviction so that God would rescue them in the fire. Could you see what they're saying? Even if God doesn't rescue us in the fire, we're not going to bow down to any other God. Can you see, they weren't trying to do a deal with God. They were worshipping God. Can you see the essence of real worship? Now let me ask you a question. Did these boys have faith in God? Not a trick question, thank you very much. Yes, they did. And I've heard people say, faith is the invisible force that gives you currency with God to make him do what you want. That is not what faith is. Faith is akin to faithfulness where you trust god in the midst of your trial hardship and difficulty you say god i don't understand what's going on in my life right now i don't even enjoy it i don't like it one little bit 
But I know that I know that I know because it's a conviction of my soul that you are always good and can only do good. And in this, even though I'm confused and I don't understand, I stand here today and I worship you with an open hand, not a clenched fist. So many people go through difficulty and they clench their fist at God and turn their back on him. That is completely the wrong posture. These boys didn't clench their fists. They opened their palms and lifted them in worship to God. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28, answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, ignored the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. There he goes again, but anyway. And their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue, deliver, save. It all means the same thing. In this way. Do you reckon Nebuchadnezzar gets it? No. Utterly bizarre. He still doesn't get it. Even though we've just had a sequence of chapters where he's just had one outstanding miracle after another. He's acknowledged nearly three times there is no other God but the true God of Israel. The God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Now in this whole story, where's Daniel? We've got in chapter 2 that Daniel was in trouble and he asked Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego to pray with him. Night and day pray with him. I wonder where Daniel was when his three buddies were in trouble. Take a stab. Praying. Well, your stab's as good as my stab. That's what I reckon too. He's not mentioned in this chapter. But I reckon that's probably what he was doing. There's a lot we could talk about when your friends and your family are going through stuff and you're not. We could do what some Christians do and that's not pray for them, judge them. God forbid that we in this church do that. And I know I, I've had people say to me that they've gone through difficulty, health issues with family members and well-meaning or perhaps not so well-meaning Christians have come up to them and said, there's obviously sin in your life. You've obviously done something to upset God that he's now cursing you with this trial. That's a horrible thing to say. Can I suggest that we've all taken a stab and we've said Daniel was probably praying. Can I suggest that that's probably at least what we should do when we see one another going through the inevitable difficulties of life? Not judge, because we often don't know all the circumstances. Let's come back to Nebuchadnezzar. He's just seen two outstanding miracles. And you would think after this miracle, that wouldn't that tip you over the edge when you go, okay, I was wrong. There really is a God and I'm not he. It's the one true God. Wouldn't you think that's what he would do? Here's the question. What would it take for you, for God to reveal himself to you? If Nebuchadnezzar missed it, have you? 
Has God already been revealing himself to you and you've missed it? It's amazing how many people I've spoken to and eventually they come to know Christ. They surrender to Christ. They say, Jesus, I acknowledge that I am someone who's fallen short and now I need a saviour. Please come and save me. I accept your gracious offer of loving forgiveness. And they accept his forgiveness. And then they look back on their life and they go, actually, now that I think about it, I was nearly killed when I was 12. I nearly drowned when I was 14. When I was 16, I was involved in a motor accident. And I should have been dead. When I was 18, all this tells you that kind of person you probably don't want to hang out with because they're really bad news. But <laughs> and they can see God, all of those steps had been revealing himself. Has God already been revealing himself to you? And can I say to you, Christian, you who say, well, hey, pastor, my heavenly insurance is already paid up. I'm already going to heaven. I've got the minimum. That's all I'm interested in. Don't challenge me. I'm just happy. I'll just turn up occasionally. Just go through the motions. As long as I know I'm going to heaven, we're all good. Don't want to be challenged. Thank you very much. Well, you come to the wrong church. Because we are going to challenge you to surrender and serve God with all your heart. And this is what you will discover. That when you do, there is no greater joy in serving the one who's worthy of worship. King Nebuchadnezzar was hanging his hat on personal fame and greatness, among other things. But like all of us, he had to decide in the face of the power of God whom he would worship. What would it take for you to believe? More from Dr. Corbett next week with Daniel's Respect. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Daniel's Refining, are available from the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. Updates and special offers are also available on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.